Welcome to Leadership and Life with Sandy Giroux. When you think about today's great leaders, do you ever wonder what makes them so great? Is it just the titles they hold? Or could it also be how they behave toward their people? They lead effectively, not because they have a job in their life, but because they bring life to the job. By following their examples, you can do the same. Now, here is your host, Sandy Giroux. Welcome to Leadership and Life, the show that helps leaders eliminate blind spots and implement everyday actions that inspire and engage their teams. Today, we'll be talking about how to turn your workplace into a wow place, starting with wow place rule number one, a wow place is safe. I'm your host, Sandy Giroux, and as we're talking about making the workplace safe, I'd like to start the show with a funny quote I heard about the kind of thing that sums up what leaders feel about their own quote-unquote safety in the workplace. And it goes like this. The problem with being a leader is that you're never sure if you're being followed or chased. (laughs) And in a way, that's true. Because if you're a great leader, then you'll be followed in the good way. But if not, you may find yourself chased right out of there, or it could work the other way around, and you'll end up chasing away all the good people you want to engage. Now, before we get into the well place rules, let me set the stage and tell you my definition of a workplace versus a well place. A workplace is a place where employees have to go because they make a paycheck. These employees are grateful just to have a job, any job. They don't necessarily care about what they do or how they do it. Just give me my check. Now, these people are personified in the funny joke that went around the Internet a while ago that has an employee saying, I don't mind coming to work, but that eight-hour wait to go home is just ridiculous. (laughs) As funny as that sounds, we can't afford to hire people who embark on an eight-hour wait to go home every day. That's why we need to turn our workplace into a wow place, which is a place where people Not just nameless, faceless employees, but people love to go because they make a difference. And in a wow place, you find people who are thankful to have this job at this organization with these people. So, if we're talking about creating a wow place, we have to ask ourselves an important question. What makes us say wow? I mean, contrary to popular belief, creating the wow isn't about big, flashy, one-time actions that create fleeting impact and then are gone. No, it's about small, consistent, everyday actions that create lasting impact on everyone around us. And anyone who's ever created a wow or contributed to creating one knows that it's what we do every day to be the best we can be and to bring out the best in everyone around us that even makes those wow experiences possible. In fact, have you ever heard of the 212 movie? It's a great short movie that you can find online, but the premise of the movie is this. At 211 degrees, water is hot, but at 212, it boils. With boiling water comes steam, and steam can power a locomotive. All it takes 
is one extra degree. Applying that to our lives, one extra degree of effort, knowledge, commitment, caring, excellence can make the difference between a good experience and a wow experience. And consistency is key. What we do and how we do it as leaders is transferable to the entire organization because it starts at the top. And our passion and commitment to excellence have to become part of our culture. Because guess what? If we let up, we let customers down. Not to mention what we do to our people. And leaders need to be consistent so their people know what to expect from them. Consistency builds trust and rapport. Randomness causes insecurity and fear. In fact, we all know of leaders whose assistants have to be asked every day, what kind of mood is she in today? Uh, Is she in a good mood? Can I talk to him about something important right now or should I wait till tomorrow? Really? How does anybody get anything done consistently when they have to check the temperature of the leader's mood before approaching important topics that need to be addressed? That is not a safe environment for people to engage. You know, I've even had mid-level leaders tell me that their biggest job is to protect their people from the leader above them. Now, I'm sure that for the most part, this just represents a blind spot on the part of the higher level leader. They're not intentionally trying to cause this reaction in their people. Again, this is where their emotional logo, which we talked about in our first episode of the show, comes into play. What are we known for? What is the instant image everyone has of us? Is it of a face purple with rage on occasion and screaming and banging and yelling? Or is it of a calm, cool, and collected leader who gives us a break even when things go wrong? So pay attention to the impression you're leaving on people. Be sure you know what image leaps to their mind when they think of you. Don't be one of those leaders whom others feel they have to protect their people from. Now, on the flip side... There are also those great leaders who are always open and willing to listen and learn and help others uh, succeed. They focus on what they can do for others, not what they can do to them. Remember, once we hire them, it's our job to get our people engaged and keep them engaged and excited about their positions and the positive impact they can have on everyone around them. But here's the interesting thing. There's a lot of talk out there about raising employee engagement, and yet, listen to these Gallup poll results on employee engagement in the U.S., and this is mirrored throughout the world. In world-class organizations, the ratio of engaged to disengaged employees is 9.57 or almost 10 to 1. That's incredible engagement, but that's in world-class organizations. (laughs) The reality is that in the average U.S. organization, the ratio is only 1.83 to 1. That's fewer than two engaged employees for every actively disengaged one. Well, how do you get anything done with an engagement ratio like that? You can't. So engage them. Talk to them. As I mentioned that last week, ask them, what do you need from me in order to do your job better? How can I serve you 
better. Now, you can create the kind of culture you want by being a role model for the behavior you wish to see. If you want them to serve you, you need to serve them. And one way to serve them is to create the kind of environment where they want to and can succeed. So to help with that, I've established a few guidelines I call the wow place rules. Now, you've heard of rules of engagement. Well, these are rules for engagement, higher engagement of everyone in the workplace. And wow place rule number one is that a wow place is safe. Now, not OSHA safe, so they don't break their necks, but emotionally safe, so we don't break their spirits. Leaders have to tell, have to set the tone right from the top and make the environment safe for employees to engage and contribute their knowledge, ideas, suggestions, anything. And by the way, if you'd like to share any ideas on how to make the workplace safe for people to contribute and engage, I'd love to hear from you. So please feel free to call in and, well, contribute. The number is 866 472 5790. That's 866-472-5790. If you'd like to call in, I'd love to hear from you. Now, most experts agree that now in the information age, one of the biggest competitive advantages we have is in the tacit knowledge of our people. See, there are two types of knowledge, explicit knowledge and tacit knowledge. Explicit knowledge is the information that's known by many people in the organization. And there are many, many systems in place to capitalize on explicit knowledge. But tacit knowledge is the knowledge that's locked in the minds and hearts of our people. It's not widely known or shared, so it's up to us as leaders to unlock it before it walks out the door and is lost forever, or even worse, utilized by our competitors who hire our former employees and put that knowledge to use against us. But why don't people share their knowledge and ideas? Well, there are lots of reasons. One is that sometimes the information is just too new and you haven't had time to think about it and share it yet. But at other times, we just don't think to write it down. We learn one way of doing things when we begin a job, right? Then we find a great new way. It's cheaper or faster, easier, more streamlined, and we just start doing it that way as a matter of course. But we don't think to write down the fact that we found a different way and outline how to do it. So it's impossible to share with anyone else. And if we're ever out of the office... That poor person taking our place has to do it the old, crummy, inefficient way because they don't know your new way. So write it down and share it with others. Now, sometimes there's just no forum for sharing. So one person may have one piece of the puzzle, another person has a second piece, and a third has yet another piece of the puzzle, but no one even knows there's a puzzle because all the pieces have nowhere to be known and put together to recognize both the puzzle and the interconnection between the pieces. So we have to create forms for sharing. Now here, though, is a huge reason. And you may or may not be surprised by this, but it's the old knowledge is power syndrome. 
I can't tell you how many times I go out and hear this. If I share what I know, I'll become less valuable. So I'm going to play it close to the vest because if I hold on to this piece of knowledge and I'm the only one who knows it, well, then that gives me job security. They can't get rid of me because I know that one thing that they need to know and I'm not telling anyone. Really? What I try to tell people is that knowledge is not power if we hoard it. It's only power if we share it. So how do leaders get their people to share their knowledge? The biggest thing we can do is to reassure them that their jobs are secure, even if others know what they know. In fact, If they want to progress and advance, they have to become true leaders who will be willing to teach, coach, mentor, help others succeed, share their knowledge and ideas. I also remind them, though, that I'd rather be known as a leader who's interested in sharing what I know and helping others succeed than being known as someone who knows one tiny little piece of information and is too insecure to tell anybody about it. So think of how you can encourage your people by making them feel safe and knowing that knowing that one piece of knowledge is not the job security they're looking for. That can be found out and taught by anyone. They have to prove their value, not just show how they have one piece of information and hang on to it. Now, another reason, though, that people don't share their knowledge, which I really hear a lot, is that it becomes their responsibility to do something with it once they share. I had a leader tell me one time that she hesitates to share because in her organization, whenever someone has a good idea, their superior says, that's great. Now, make it happen. What? Wait, no extra time, no extra pay, no extra resources, but now it's my responsibility to get it done. No thanks. And she stops sharing. In another program, a leader asked me how to get people to contribute their ideas, telling me that their people used to do it all the time, but they don't anymore. And she said, do you have any idea what could be going on? So I asked her if this scenario could be the case in her head. And she actually hit her hand to her head and said, oh, my Lord, that is what's happening in my company. It's even happened to me. Why didn't I see that? Blind spots. We all have them. But once we recognize them, we can do something about it. Now, sometimes, though, it's because the people don't share because they, if they share an idea, they're either slammed or embarrassed for it by a leader who doesn't want to change anything or whose processes or procedures are now being what they called questioned. Well, you don't question me, you know, or, or the idea is ignored like many ideas that get it put into a suggestion box and disappear into a black hole never to be seen again. Or they offer an idea only to have someone else take credit for it. And then they end up feeling used and abused for having offered the good idea. And while we hope that people don't just offer ideas for what they can get out of it, the fact is we're all human. And we want at least a little recognition and appreciation for those ideas, privately, even if not publicly. Now, all of these are common reasons why people don't share their knowledge. But often the reason is this. They are never asked. No one ever asks them to. 
You know, I used to work for a retailer years ago in one of my first jobs, and I had a 30% discount to buy clothing at a sister company of theirs. I was their target market, a 25 to 40-year-old working woman. And time after time, my friends and I all marched into that store armed with our 30% discount only to walk out with nothing. Why? Because there was garbage on the racks. We wouldn't put those clothes on our bodies if they paid us, never mind us paying them. Now, we were aching to tell somebody what we knew, but we didn't know who to tell, how to tell them, or if our input would be welcome. It was no surprise to us when that unprofitable division was later on sold off and then closed its doors. And here is the kicker. There was a huge, huge competitive advantage existing right in their own company, and they didn't recognize it because they had a blind spot. When we come back from a short break, I'm going to give you a key to recognizing that blind spot and capitalizing on the knowledge of your people. We'll be back shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you sometimes find it challenging to inspire your team members to engage and contribute to your organization's success? Do your team members have trouble communicating across and even within generations? Leadership and Life is dedicated to helping you turn your workplace into a wow place by implementing everyday actions that inspire your teams to reach higher. Sandy Giroux, founder and CEO of Wow Place International, has over 30 years of leadership experience and offers deep insights to help leaders and team members build a bridge to understanding and improving the workplace experience. Her insights for leaders help them uncover blind spots and identify what they may be doing to inhibit employee engagement. Her insights for team members inspire them to seek new perspectives, understand others' viewpoints, and find ways to go the extra mile to create wow experiences. Sandy has helped over 25,000 attendees in 125 companies activate a culture of wow. For more information, visit thewowplace.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. This is Leadership and Life. To reach Sandy Giroux or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to sandy at thewowplace.com. Now, back to Leadership and Life. And we're back. 
Now, we were just talking about the fact that companies often have blind spots when it comes to recognizing how to capitalize on the tacit knowledge of their people and create a competitive advantage. Well, here is a huge key for you. In the company I just described, the kicker was that they had 10,000 employees located in three different buildings in one geographic area. 10,000 pieces of free market research if they would have only asked their own employees two questions. Do you use your employee discount? Why or why not? Oh my goodness. If they had ever just asked us, all of us could have contributed to helping that company and that division succeed, but they never asked. So start asking your people, what can we ask? What do they know? How can we capitalize on it? What it boils down to is remembering that sharing our knowledge often entails taking a risk. You know, sometimes in our roles as leaders, we forget just how risky it feels to do what we consider to be nothing. In fact, it's expected. It's not risky at all. But for many of our people, just speaking up feels like a risk. So to put something uh, to put ourselves in in other people's shoes and understand what it feels like to take the risk to speak up or offer ideas, we have to ask ourselves a couple of questions. You know, what will happen if I try and fail? Will I be okay or will I lose my job? What's our organization's position on risk and how are risk takers treated? Do I know the position? Do I know the consequences and the expectations? Remember this, if we don't know, they won't know. And if they don't know, they won't try. Here's the operative question. Are our associates trying to succeed or are they simply trying not to fail? See, there's a big difference between these two mindsets. One focuses on creativity and success, while the other focuses on fear and failure. If we're in an organization where we're trying to succeed and we hear a great idea, what do we hear? Wow, that's a fantastic idea. We can't afford not to try that. But if we're in an organization where our people are simply trying not to fail and we hear that same great idea, we hear people saying, oh, that's a great idea, but oh, I can't afford to try that. What, what if it didn't work? Oh, no, 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 no. That's just too risky. People in those situations just shut down creativity, innovation, and any chance at continuous improvement because they're too afraid to take the risk to be better. And when we encourage people to take the risk to go for a stretch goal, we can't slam them into the ground if they make a mistake. I mean, just get it into your mind that mistakes will be made. We're all human. How many new ventures have you attempted where everything went perfectly the first time? I'm guessing none, but it's the same for them. In fact, I read a great story one time about an executive who went for a big stretch goal. He made a mistake and cost the company $2 million. So... He gets called into the CEO's office and he says to the CEO, I guess you're going to fire me now, right? To which the CEO replies, fire you? Are you kidding? We just invested $2 million in your training. You're not going anywhere. (laughs) Wow. Wouldn't you love to know that you could make that kind of mistake and not get fired? In fact, actually get the chance to make things right? So 
So often, we're not given the chance to make something right, even though we desperately want to when things go wrong. So unless someone makes a ridiculously stupid mistake caused by carelessness or recklessness or something similarly unforgivable like that, give them a chance to make it right and just know they're going to make mistakes. Now, I heard a great quote from the country singer Kenny Rogers one time about this topic. Now, if you're a Kenny Rogers fan, you may be thinking you know what it is. But no, it's not. Know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Know when to walk away. Know when to run. Nope, that's not it. (laughs) But here's what he did say, which is fabulous. He said, don't be afraid to give up the good for the great. And if you're wondering, no, I'm not going on a pseudo Kenny Rogers tour (laughs) with that song or any songs. But he had some wonderful sayings. In fact, so many people we can learn from. So don't force your people to hang on for dear life to what is merely good because they're too afraid of the consequences to even try to go for something that's really great. Listen to Kenny Rogers. He had great advice there. Now, one thing that you can do as a leader, especially since your people don't always see them, and even if they do see them, they may be too timid to speak up and let you know about them, is to recognize and draw out and utilize their hidden talents and abilities and interests. For example, let me share a story from my own past when I was in one of my other earlier jobs. Back in the late 70s, early 80s, and I'm probably giving away my age a little bit more than I anticipated here now, but I was working for the director of MIS, which is now called IT. But back then, we had no laptops. There was no word processing in Excel and other tools we have today. No, the basic tools of the trade back then were typewriters and computer monitors called dumb terminals that were sitting on people's desks and connected to the mainframe that certain other people could use to communicate with others in the organization who also had dumb terminals on their desks. But at that time... All of the new technology was starting to come into the company. We'd even gotten one of the first desktop computers called an Apple Lisa. And it had something called a mouse that came with it. Now, why anyone would want to bring rodents into the company was beyond any of us. (laughs) But much to our amusement, we all discovered soon enough what a mouse really was. I was fascinated by all this technology, though. And one day... I just blurted out to my boss, Mike, hey, Mike, I like all this computer stuff. I didn't know where that comment would ever go or what would come of it, but I blurted it out just the same. Well, one day, about two weeks later, a piece of word processing software called IBM's Easy Writer came across Mike's desk which meant it also came across mine. Now, Mike, remembering my comment, said to me, Sandy, you like all this computer stuff, you know, feeding my words back to me. See if you can get this to work and let me know what you think of it. So I tried it out. I didn't like it much. So I drew up a report from Mike that said, well, here's the short list of what I like and here's the long list of what I don't. And I submitted it to Mike. I swear 
not two weeks later, here comes a computer magazine with a review of IBM's Easy Writer. And the headline of the review was IBM's Not So Easy Writer. And the reviewer said all of the same things I just put in my report to Mike. Well, Mike looked at the review. He looked at the report. Then he called in the guy who was heading up the corporate-wide project to bring in personal computers and word processing into the company, saying, get her on this project on the word processing side. (laughs) Yes! This got me out of the office on and off for months! (laughs) I mean, the opportunity was incredible. I know, that sounds funny, but... It's a fact of life and work that sometimes work becomes monotonous. And when we have the chance to do varied and interesting work and help the company while also building our skills, it is truly a gift that re-engages you and gets you even more committed to contributing because it shows the leader's faith in that team member to actually contribute on a different or higher level. So, Give your people that chance to re-engage and contribute by allowing them to try new things that not only help the company, but build their skill sets and abilities too. Now, by the way, through that process, I discovered how much I love technology and how good I really am at it. And I was able to engage and contribute to the organization much more effectively than I was able to do in my regular job at least for that three-month period of time while the project was going on. All because I opened my mouth and said, I like all this computer stuff. And Mike listened. And then he gave me an opportunity to use that interest and discover a talent I would have never known about if not for that opportunity. That knowledge has helped me all through my career. Later on, I actually became a business systems consultant and systems analyst, which allowed me to perform that function for a sister company and allows me to this day to use my talents to help other companies analyze their processes, procedures, leadership behaviors, activities, and find the gaps between what they wish to create and what's actually happening. It also helps me in my speaking and training engagements because I recognize in almost any story I hear how to apply the principles to the situation at hand and help make things better. And that's what every worthwhile team member is really looking for, the ability to utilize their talents, interests, and abilities to make a difference. So if you look for opportunities to allow them to shine and possibly to help them see beyond their current position and abilities, you help them not only succeed at a higher level in their current position, which, by the way, helps the organization too, but it also sets the stage for a successful career and life beyond that one position. Now, as I mentioned during the last show, the number one factor that attracts people to a particular workplace is the ability to develop a career path. Even if you don't have a huge and varied career path for your people in your company due to the size of it, you can still help them develop the skills to lay the foundation for a future path. So even if they eventually leave you because they've gone as far as they can go there, and by the way, Who do you know nowadays that stays with one company for their entire life anyway? They don't. So even if and when they leave you, you know that they will never forget you for what you did for them while you were together. 
And Ralph Waldo Emerson has a great, or had a great philosophy. Treat a man as he is, and he will remain as he is. But treat a man as he could be, and you help him to become so. I love that. See, one characteristic of a great leader is someone who helps another person become all they can be while getting the job at hand done. And that's one thing now that you can do to inspire your people to shine. Another thing you can do is to look to your mission statements to guide you. You know, keeping in mind that many people are now mission-driven, which is what keeps them in lower-paying jobs, rather than looking for that big paycheck and the high pressure and the high power and all that stuff, in certain cases, your organization's mission statements can offer a clue as to how to attract, inspire, and engage them. But here's the key. Many of our organization's mission statements are not as effective as they could be, and some are just downright useless. Why? Well, first, they're often so old and outdated that they have no meaning anymore in today's world. Well, they were created 139 and a half years ago, and we've never looked at them since, but we're good. We're, we're good. <laughs> really? If you haven't looked at your mission statement in a while, it may be time to update it and make it relevant to today's customers and today's workforce. Now, another problem is that even if they are meaningful and have been updated, they're often so long and convoluted, no one can remember them. If you can't remember your mission statement, how can you or anyone else connect with it? In fact, do a quick exercise for me. Can you recite your organization's mission statement right now, right off the top of your head? I'm wondering how many people can actually do it. In my live programs, not many. Now, if not, how is anyone else going to be able to do so? Again, it may be time to revisit and shorten it so it's memorable, repeatable, and most importantly, actionable. And that presumes that you and your team members have even ever seen it. I still go into too many organizations where the employees have never seen the mission statement. They may be published in an annual report or possibly even put on a company website somewhere, maybe buried on a page that would be hard for anybody to find if they didn't know exactly where it is. But there's never any specific focus on what people should do to actually help the company accomplish its mission. And therein lies what may be the biggest problem of all. The organizational mission is so far removed from the average worker's job and job description that they don't know how what they do actually contributes to the accomplishment of the mission or to the success of the organization at all. So if they can't get close to the actual mission and relate their jobs to it, how do they know if they're making any difference at all? So here's one suggestion for bringing more meaning to the job. Create departmental mission statements so people in each department understand just how their specific jobs contribute to the overall success of the company. In fact, I saw this in action at Florida Hospital where I had to go one time for an x-ray and bam, right there on the door to the x-ray department was the x-ray department mission statement. I can't tell you how good it also made me feel as a patient knowing that they had a mission statement for how they were to treat me. 
And because they had a mission statement that set the vision for the level of care they were to provide in that specific department, they were able to take action on it to create the patient experience and outcomes they desired. Now, there are many ways to do that and find ways to bring your mission statements and values to life every day rather than allowing them to be just words on a paper and paying lip service to them. And here's a final tip. Keep the lines of communication open. Don't allow things to fester or allow anyone to just make stuff up. You know, I I heard a speaker one time say, we're all graduates of MSU. Make stuff up. We're having these internal dialogues in our heads all the time, and so are other people. And by our silence, we're allowing them to make up anything and everything they want to, and usually it's wrong. It's not what's happening at all, and it builds it up in their minds and creates a bigger problem than it would have been if you'd just taken the bull by the horns, been the leader you really need to be, and had the difficult conversation with them. You never know what's going on in other people's minds in the background or at any time, at any given moment. In fact, here's an incredible story of just how circling back to someone can really help both parties. Someone I knew when I was a realtor who was also a realtor told me he'd had a client interaction that went really well. He thought everything was okay. He calls the man back at a later point to just follow up, touch base, see if there's anything else they can do together. And the guy says, oh my God, why are you calling me? Don't call me. And he hung up on him. The man was stunned. Everything had gone well. Now he has two choices here. He can either let it fester and say, oh my gosh, I'll never talk to him again. Or he can do what he did, which was a couple of days later, go to the man's house, knock on the door. When the man opened the door, he started to apologize. And the man stopped him and said, oh my gosh, no, no, no. I need to apologize to you. At the exact moment you called, my two-year-old child had just fallen into the fireplace with a fire burning. And I couldn't even think, I'm sorry. Wow. Keeping the lines of communication open really helps. And we'll talk more about that when we come back from a short break. Stay tuned. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Do you sometimes find it challenging to inspire your team members to engage and contribute to your organization's success? Do your team members have trouble communicating across and even within generations? Leadership and Life is dedicated to helping you turn your workplace into a wow place by implementing everyday actions that inspire your teams to reach higher. Sandy Giroux, founder and CEO of Wow Place International, has over 30 years of leadership experience and offers deep insights to help leaders and team members build a bridge to understanding and improving the workplace experience. Her insights for leaders help them uncover blind spots and identify what they may be doing to inhibit employee engagement. Her insights for team members inspire them to seek new perspectives, understand others' viewpoints, and find ways to go the extra mile to create wow experiences. Sandy has helped over 25,000 attendees in 125 companies activate a culture of wow. For more information, visit thewowplace.com. 
Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Leadership and Life. To reach Sandy Giroux or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to sandy at thewowplace.com. Now, back to Leadership and Life. Welcome back to Leadership in Life, where we're talking today about making our workplace safe for others to engage. And we're talking about the value of keeping the lines of communication open, even when we have difficult conversations to handle. We'll be talking about that in detail in another show. But let me just say that we need to think about the situation I just talked about, where we don't know what's going on in people's minds unless we keep those lines of communication open. Now, you compare that situation to the bully in another company who took offense at something another worker did and then refused to let the other person offer a legitimate reason for doing it, and then it never should have caused that kind of offense in the first place, but then She refused to speak to the person that she thought offended her, wouldn't take calls, wouldn't answer emails. That actively devolved into bad-mouthing the person to everyone she knew at the company for an assumed offense that, even if valid, could have been gotten past with an apology and allowed everyone to move on. Now, it's bad enough when team members shut down communications and do things like this, but when leaders do it, it's even worse because we're supposed to know better and we're supposed to be more mature than that. I know. I know. Sometimes it's very uncomfortable to take those conversations on. We don't know what to say or how to say it sometimes either. Well, What I'm going to tell you is get out there and get some advice. Talk to a trusted person, preferably outside the company if it's company related, even role play. And again, I know I can hear your eyes rolling in your head right now. Role playing. I know people hate role playing. But let me give you the perfect example of how role playing can be a very useful tool for you. Several years ago, There was a commercial that showed a man and a woman in a private home. Now, they were at opposite ends of a hallway, each in a different bedroom. Now, the first scene flashed on, I think it was the woman, who said, oh, now I don't have any privacy, and she slammed the door. Then it went to the man, who said, you're going into my room now? Slam. Back to the woman. You don't trust me? Slam. Now, as the commercial progressed you realized what they were doing. They were role-playing the difficult conversation they expected to have with their child in whose room they had apparently found drugs. Right. Now, why were they doing this? Because it was so important that they get it right the first time. 
If something is so important to you that you get it right the first time, please do whatever you need to to avoid practicing in the real situation on the person for whom it really matters. It will feel really uncomfortable at first, but then as you get into the role play, thoughts and words will come to you that never would have come to you if you just stayed in your head and tried to think it through. This helps you formulate what you want to say more smoothly and intelligently so you don't ramble when you get there because you've gotten it out of your mouth ahead of time. Now, something happens to us when we put ourselves into the actual situation, even if it's a role play and not the real one. Our adrenaline kicks in and helps us feel the emotions we would feel when it's the real thing. That helps us get over those emotions in the role play situation, which helps us better control the emotions when it's for real. Another thing that happens is that our role playing partner often thinks of things we never would have thought of but that the other person might in the real situation, which helps us prepare what we'd like to say in response to those things if they come up for real. So talk, practice, role play. Take the risk to get uncomfortable if need be and do whatever it takes to get the job done and done well so you have the best chance of being proud and helping the other person be proud of the results you create together. And speaking of being proud, I'm reminded of the song Proud by Heather Small, which was the theme song one season several years back on the TV show The Biggest Loser. You might remember it. If you don't, go ahead and look it up. It's very inspiring. But the lyrics for the chorus go like this. I step out of the ordinary. I can feel my soul ascending. I'm on my way. Can't stop me now. And you can do the same. What have you done today to make you feel proud? It's never too late to try. What have you done today to make you feel proud? Think about this. In the workplace and in life, one of our goals is to be mature enough and emotionally intelligent enough to control our emotions, to care for others, and to make their experiences, wherever they may be, better easier, more productive, more meaningful. In other words, we're all trying to be better people and better leaders so we can be proud of what we do and how we do it. So if you want to be a better leader and a better person, just try to follow the lyrics of this song and ask yourself on a daily basis, what have you done today to make you feel proud? Well, Opening up those lines of communication is a great way to ensure that everyone feels good and, yes, even proud of working with you and for your organization. And lest you think this is all fluff, let me share a story of a client who hired me to conduct a leadership training for their superintendents and project managers. Now, on the morning of the training, I arrived at the training room only to find it empty. (laughs) What I found out later was that these guys thought this leadership stuff was all fluff and they didn't want anything to do with it. They actually had to be dragged just about kicking and screaming to the training. Now, to their credit, even though they initially didn't want to be there, they were polite enough to pay attention to what I had to say and open enough to give me a chance to prove them wrong. 
Now, once we got underway, we came to one particular spot where they all perked up and said, right there, that's what we're having our biggest problem with. So I put my clicker down and said, okay, let's talk about that. And we proceeded to have an open dialogue that gave them new things to think about, creative ways to approach others and explain their viewpoints, and practical tools and tactics to handle difficult situations. Suddenly, after that, they realized that leadership isn't about touchy-feely stuff. (laughs) See, they didn't realize at first, I'm not a fluffy girl. I have real tactics and tips that help you connect and inspire others to engage. Well, once they realized that, everything else went great from that point on. In fact, after the session was over, several people, when I was talking to them in the hall and heard that I was the one conducting the training, said, oh, you were the one doing that and you're still alive? (laughs) Yikes. Was there a question? (laughs) But everyone was amazed at the impact the training had with the guys coming out of the room saying they were going to try the things I suggested there and really excited about trying them. So it just goes to show you That if you keep your eyes and especially your mind open, you can uncover whatever blind spots you may have and find ways to make things better. And lessons come and you can learn an awful lot from everything you do and experience in life. And if you really pay attention, you can find ways to apply those lessons that abound everywhere around you to make things better. And that brings us to the final segment of our show, the human part where we share what we have in common, food. And today, I would like to share my family's recipe for escarole soup, or as you see it listed on many American menus, Italian wedding soup. Now, This may be wedding soup for some, but for us, it was our holiday soup. And now, as we've gotten older and we can't eat as many courses as we could in our younger days, we've cut out some of the other courses from our holiday menu, but this soup has never, and as far as I'm concerned, will never be cut because it's just too special and too good to let go of. Now, we call it escarole soup because we use the salad green escarole as the vegetable in the soup. The escarole is added at the end of the cooking and it's cooked just long enough to wilt it. Now, the soup is a chicken-based one, and we use the dark meat of the chicken because the white meat just gets too dried out and ruins the soup. Now, of course, if you cook your dark meat too long, it also ruins the soup, not because it gets dried out, but because it'll get all stringy. So don't overcook your chicken, whatever you do. But one of the crowning glories of the soup is meatballs, those little bite-sized meatballs. Now, on my host page, on the right-hand side of the page, under the show links, you'll find a link to the page on my website containing all my show recipes, including this soup. And on the soup recipe, you'll also find the recipe for the meatballs that go into it. By the way, this is also the recipe we use for the bigger meatballs that go into our spaghetti sauce. So when you feel like having that, use this recipe there. And... Oh, my goodness, let me tell you, this recipe also makes really nice hamburgers and cheeseburgers on the grill, too. Thick and juicy and flavorful. Try it sometime. You'll love it. 
Now, the other ingredient that goes into the soup is some sort of small pasta, like acini de pepe. Now, you'll see how to spell that on the recipe sheet, but that's what we traditionally use. When we can't get acini di pepe, we found that Ditalini also makes a really nice pasta for the soup. In fact, I love Ditalini so much that sometimes I'll put it in other soups just to be able to have something in there. But either one works really well for this soup. Now, my recipe makes a big, huge pot of soup. So you may have leftovers for the next day. But whatever you do, do not store the chicken or the pasta in the broth. Okay? If you put it in the fridge and keep it overnight, store them separately. Because if you store them together, your chicken probably will get stringy. And your pasta will definitely get mushy. And it will soak up all your broth. So you'll have nothing left to serve but big chunks of meat and some mush that used to be pasta. As you can tell. We Italians do not like mushy, soft, overcooked pasta. So that's why my recipe also tells you to cook the pasta separately and then just put it in the bottom of the bowl and ladle the soup on top of it when you're ready to serve it. Because you don't want it cooking in the broth, which soaks it all up, and then it'll be in there and you can't get it out to store it separately. So you want nice al dente pasta. Now you can finish it off with a little grated Parmesan or Romano cheese and voila, you have our traditional recipe or for holiday soup or as many people call it, wedding soup. When I talk about my holiday recipes, I've got to tell you that I have some of them also. I I started this segment because people were asking me all the time, how do you make this and how do you make that? So as we go through, you'll be hearing all the different holiday recipes that I have, including the desserts. And they're unimaginably delicious. Italian cooking can be a lot of fun, but it also takes some diligence. So really look at what I put in those recipes and on those pages to make sure that you can definitely do it right and create the kind of Italian holiday extravaganza experience that we have at every holiday. So I hope you're enjoying the recipes and the segments today. That is going to do it for us for this episode of Leadership and Life. Now, I want to tell you, though, we've been talking about how to create a wow place by making the wow place safe. Well, I can't wait for you to join me again next week as I'll be interviewing two powerhouse individuals who personify the concepts discussed today. Lucy Brazier, CEO of Marsham Publishing, which is based in the UK, and Matthew Want, Lucy's personal assistant and an integral part of her global team. They are creating kick-butt results throughout the world and will offer leaders and team members alike great insights into creating powerful partnerships between executives and team members. You won't want to miss this interview. I'm Sandy Giroux, and I hope to see you next week on Leadership and Life. Thank you for joining Sandy Giroux for Leadership and Life. Be sure to tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you again next week. 